Hello everybody and welcome to another one of Alan Robson's Grizzly Tales here on robsonsworld.com Lots of big changes to Robson's World in the weeks and months to come so please get ready for that and spread the word make it a point of visiting here on a regular basis if you will be so kind Now grizzly is one of those words that invades our lives from time to time and I hope that none of these stories are remotely echoing something that's happened in your life. And it's about your mum and your dad. Now, you've probably got ideas about your mum, things that you love about her, things that you don't like quite so much. Same with your dad. Because parents chose to have you, and they've got a duty to keep you safe and sound, to increase your knowledge give you a a safe place where you can grow up unhindered. And if a child is sick or if they're poorly, they're designed to look after you. However, evil comes in many forms, especially where parents are concerned. How many times have we witnessed parents crying for lost children on our TV news programmes only to find out three months later that they were the ones responsible for hurting, harming, or killing them. Children only have one requirement, and that is to be loved. But instead of love, sometimes they get blood, torture, physical and sexual abuse to satisfy a parent's own twisted desires. Child abuse is horrific. It happens far too often. And yet that is horrific. But we have moved on to parents that have taken it even further forward. Beyond just physical and sexual abuse. Beyond cruel. The parents that feature in our grisly tale tonight are just downright wicked and evil. They are a waste of skin. The first couple that I'm starting with are Banazuskis. Now, there's been a movie called An American Crime starring an actress called Ellen Page, loosely based on the true story of Gertrude Banazuski. She didn't harm her children, but she did take a girl in to become a stepchild and she was certainly one of the most evil women evil mothers in history I'm taking you back now to the 1960s in Indiana in the US Banaszewski was mam to seven children she miscarried six of them and she was dumped by a boyfriend. So to make a little bit of extra money, Banaszewski took in a couple of children, Sylvia and Jenny Likens, because their father was a single father, he was working away, and promised to send her $20 a week, $10 a week each for each child, if she'd look after them while he was away grafting. Now, for no apparent reason, Banaszewski decided to turn on little Sylvia, who was a beautiful and innocent child. She would beat her, 
she would stub out her cigarettes on her arms and face. If she was making tea or coffee, she would save some scalding water to pour on the child's skin. And then, as she was a very young child, sometimes she'd be sick if ever she was sick. Banaszewski made her eat her own vomit. If she soiled herself, she would be forced to eat her own faeces too. As if that was not horrific enough, she used a Coca-Cola bottle to force into the child's lower area, damaging her for the rest of her life and making her incapable of having her own children. Now, if you thought that evil could not get any worse than that, when she knocked the child unconscious, when the child woke up, remember she was just a very, very young child, Banaszewski had carved with a knife, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, onto her lower body. Now, the thing that makes this worse was Banaszewski didn't do these horrible things alone. Her own children and some of the other kids around the neighbourhood tortured and eventually killed Sylvia. To this day, it's considered the most terrible crime that was ever committed in the state of Indiana. I said they were grisly, and they are. There's another couple of Canadians this time. Sonia and John Cluth. Don't know whether you've heard the name. And again, this is something that could happen in our communities, any of them. When a child gets adopted, there's a little bit of time it takes for the parents, the new parents, to get used to the child and the child to get used to suddenly having parents in place when they were used to living in a children's home where there is no similar figure. Well, the child usually is a bit scared that the parents might change their mind and send them back. Mind you, I bet the children of the Cluths and the adopted three of them were praying that their new parents would send them back. The children, when they were adopted, were 16, 13 and 10 years of age when they were taken in by the Cluths. And across their time with them, on a daily basis, they were beaten, choked and burned with hot pokers if they did anything to make their new parents unhappy with them. During the trial against the Cluths, the oldest boy said that Sonia used to hammer his feet with a poker and used to put super glue onto his genitals to keep the penis closed, forcing it to explode open. And she also used pliers on his genitals to hurt him. She would force the other children to beat one another, but especially him, and he said she really used to enjoy seeing me suffering. The children were not even really part of the Cluth family. 
they kept them in an underground storm cellar where they were forced to live in dog crates and cages. The Cluths, Sonia got a life sentence and her husband got 20 years in prison and, you know, it wasn't close to being enough. Okay, a mother's love, you can't put a price on it. Parents designed by nature to protect their children. Look at nature, how the adults of any species would put their life on the line to protect their cub or their duckling. So how can you explain a woman who, when she wasn't hurting her child, was desperate to give it to anybody else who would take the bairn. In 2011, Felicia McClure tried to sell her 13-year-old daughter's virginity for $10,000. And to appeal to the seller, and there was someone who bought her virginity called Don, she'd been communicating for two months, McClure said that she would have her 13-year-old daughter wearing underwear from Victoria's Secret so that she could take pictures of her that she would send to Don and a couple of other men who were interested. Now, fortunately for McClure's daughter, McClure's own boyfriend spotted the text on her phone and called the police, and McClure was charged with aggravated sexual abuse of a child, two counts of sexual exploitation of a minor, and she got next to no sentence at all, because that's the world we live in, because she was only going to sell her child, and not that she'd sold her child, she got away with a minor sentence. Talk about things that are sick and grisly, there's one right there. This next woman's free. She's walking the same streets that we walk in. Her name is Casey Anthony. She was acquitted in 2008 of murdering her own two-year-old daughter, Kaylee. So we could all say she was completely innocent. She's been found... Well, she was acquitted. Sure, doesn't that mean that she was found innocent? Well, not exactly. What it means is there was not enough proof. At the very beginning, when little Kaylee went missing, Anthony said that she'd been kidnapped by a nanny, although nobody knew a nanny and no nanny actually existed. So then Anthony had also told her parents that she hadn't seen Kaylee in weeks and she wasn't remotely worried. A lot of pictures even showed young Anthony out partying in nightclubs. And she even went up on stage to take part in a hot body competition. Then documents were shown of Anthony's internet history, which contained searches for how to make chloroform. This was not someone who was pining for her lost child. Anthony, who a lot of people believe suffocated her daughter, wrapped her in a 
garbage bag and dumped her body to rid herself of having to be a parent so she can keep on partying. It was never proven, but the fickle finger of fate certainly pointed in that direction. Then it takes someone particularly sick and ill to murder their own children. Maybe somebody who either has no grip on reality and has a serious illness, or they just are truly evil. Especially if you commit that crime multiple times to children who had literally just taken their own first breath. The person I'm talking about is called Megan Huntsman from Utah. She was charged with killing six of her own newly born babies, and another was stillborn, and hiding their bodies in her garage. It was Huntsman's ex-husband who made the discovery of the bodies wrapped in plastic bags, packed into boxes. He went to try and clean out the garage that was full of junk. Huntsman said that the murders that took place over 10 years, from 1996 to 2006, was just purely a, a fault because she was addicted to meth and she drank a lot and she had depression. Huntsman already had other children who were healthy and they actually stood up and tried to defend her in court. But despite all of that, she got 30 years before there's any possibility of her getting parole. James and Sandra Davis, next. Now, we talk about paedophile rings. James and Sandra Davis were quite happy to try and sell their children for very little money. All they wanted was enough to pay off their 1998 Dodge minivan. And the cost of it was $281. That's all they were short. The couple offered the dealership's manager to have sex with their 12-year-old child in lieu of payments. The couple also helped themselves to their own daughter and they both would molest their own little one. Police in Eastman, Georgia, discovered that the Davis family, James and Sandra, were regularly selling their 12, then she became 13 and 14-year-old daughter, to anybody that would ask in exchange, not even for money, just for a handful of drugs. And since they were pimping out their daughter, they were sentenced to prison and their poor daughter placed in foster care. Now, in prison, prisoners quite often have a better sense of right and wrong than magistrates and judges and as soon as James Davis went into prison he was beaten so badly he was hospitalised beaten by other inmates that had heard what they'd done to their own child Lacey Spears is up next now Lacey Spears was media obsessed 
She wanted everybody to look at her sights online and all of her posts, maybe to try and give her some kind of approval for who she was, and it led to death. Spears kept writing about the struggles that she was having with her son Garnet because the child kept suffering from all of these different strange, peculiar and mysterious diseases, illnesses, and she would get sympathy and attention from friends and followers online. And then in 2014, little Garnet, aged only five, died while in hospital after a lethal dose of sodium. Now, this was in the form of table salt and had been injected directly into his IV. This dose was given to him by his own mother and amazingly was caught on CCTV. A toxicologist testified that the little boy had experienced directly into his vein the equivalent of 69 bags of salt that you would get from McDonald's. It caused his brain to swell and led swiftly to his death. Now, this so-called mother only got 20 years to life because the judge believed she was suffering from Munchausen by proxy, which causes a parent to hurt their child so that they can get attention. Spears claims she's innocent, and yet they've got her on camera doing it. Ah, this whole thing is sick-making, especially if you have your own children and you look at them and you think how beautiful and lovely and how blessed you are to have that gift from nature as we move into an even darker chapter. Front page of all the newspapers called A Campaign of Cruelty. How Daniel Pelker, a beautiful, blonde-haired, gorgeous little boy, was tortured at the hands of his own mother, Magdalena Luchak, and her boyfriend, Mariusz Kresolek. Daniel was only three and a half when Luxak and Kresolek began starving him. Not any of the others, not, not his brother. They actively encouraged him to lie to the authorities about what was going on. They told the school that Daniel was being treated for a rare eating disorder and they, they were told not to feed him. If the school had only an inkling of what was really going on, that Daniel was getting regular brutal beatings being hit with pieces of wood, pieces of stone. He was locked in a room and had his head forced underwater in a bath. He was force-fed salt and he eventually died of a head injury and he was so malnourished when he died he was only 23 pounds in weight. There's no reason why they did it. No reason why a mother would allow her boyfriend to do that kind of thing. And in January of 2016, she hung herself in her prison cell on what would have been her son's eighth birthday.
Now, I've always been a big fan of same-sex marriages. You know, there's no reason why two people who love each other shouldn't be together, full stop. I've always believed this. And this is what actually happened six, seven to 10,000 years ago on this planet. Men could live together happily, women could live together. There were no social burdens put in your way. However, this pair of women completely let the side down. Rachel Trelfer and Naomi Fee, a civil partnership. And they had three children together, but the biological mother, Rachel Trelfer, seemed to take out most of her anger on their toddler, Liam Fee. Little Liam, along with his brothers, were locked in cages, regularly threatened and cut, forced to eat dog feces and vomit, and they were left with broken bones and they were never allowed to go to hospital, otherwise the parents would have had too much attention. Two-year-old Liam finally died of heart injuries, and the doctor in the dock said his injuries were similar to those found in a car crash victim. So badly had he been beaten. Trelfer and Fee had no remorse for what they did. They even bragged that they were going to be the top girl in prison. We're going to take the place over. They were given the longest minimum prison sentences ever handed out to a woman in Scotland. Trelfer got 23 and a half years and Fee, 24 years. That time is not nearly long enough when that blessed little boy suffered this for years. Broken bones, eating dog feces. The fact that they're still on the planet is outrageous. Now let's go to another horrific and sick child abuse case. This is the worst one ever in Californian history. Mansa Musa Mohammed made his 19 children suffer for decades. He was a polygamist. He'd married more than one woman. He had 19 children by a variety of women and the 19 of them lived in conditions that were similar to that of a concentration camp. They were locked in basements for days at a time. They were raped, starved and beaten. And the children were so ill-fed and stunted in growth that one daughter was 18 and weighed only 48 pounds and the other was 19 and was only 4 foot 1 and only 56 pounds in weight. Muhammad's three wives were forced to abuse the children and forced to allow him to because they feared for their own lives, so they took part in abusing their own children. This scumbag showed no remorse, actually told a juror that he'd enjoyed every minute of it, and he was handed seven life sentences with eligibility for parole in 65 years, when he'll be well over 100. 
A mother of four, Michelle Blair, decided to kill a couple of her children because she thought them to be demons. And then, after she'd killed them, she killed them again because she believed that their zombie-state children were sexually abusing her younger son. Now, there were no evidence of sexual assault on this, but all four children were subjected to horrific abuse by this woman. And it was only her daughter, Stoney, and son, Stephen, who were killed. She strangled both of them before suffocating them with plastic bags. She even got one of her other children to help them put the body of Stoney in the freezer. She was sentenced to life without parole. She says, I don't feel no emotion for the death of them demons. She believes that they were demons. I can't give you a name of this next one, although horrific it still is. Only reason I'm not giving the name is to protect the identity of the daughter. This couple of people from Australia had their names withheld. The mother was a teacher and the father was an Olympic athlete. Yet both of them raped and tortured their own daughter over a period of 14 years, starting in 1997. They threatened her with a chainsaw to her neck. They wrapped her in barbed wire and locked her overnight in a box. They held her head regularly under water till she almost died. And apart from the physical torture that both parents did, the mother also taught her own daughter how best to sexually satisfy her own dad. There were other kids in the house too, but it was only this one child singled out and tortured from when she was only five up to the age of 18. These parents got the longest jail term ever given in Australian criminal history with a minimum of 36 years for the father and 16 years for the mother. Now, this next one is quite close to us. It's known as the Sheffield case. And once again, the perpetrator can't be named to protect the victims. But over a period of 25 years from the late 1980s until this guy got arrested in 2008, an English businessman repeatedly raped his own two daughters and fathered 19 children with them, seven of whom survived. He started raping his own children when they were eight and ten. As his wife had left years before because of abuse she got, this guy was nicknamed the British Fritzl by the press with the treatment of his children being similar, similar to the Austrian Josef Fritzl case. A bully manipulating children and the system to go undetected for over 20 years. He eventually got 25 concurrent life sentences with a minimum of 14 and a half years in prison and is totally unrepentant. A local prison guard said he has a one-second fuse and he'll hurt anybody just for the sake of it.
And when you're talking of horrific parents, Josef Fritzl has to be mentioned. When in 2008, Elizabeth Fritzl informed Austrian police that she'd been held by her own father for 24 years, raped and beaten, giving birth to seven children whilst in captivity. Four were still with her and three who became part of her father and mother as foundlings. He trapped Elizabeth in a chamber that he'd built under his house, faked her disappearance by saying she'd run away using letters that he'd forced Elizabeth to write as proof. And it was only when Elizabeth's eldest daughter, Kirsten, fell ill with kidney failure that Elizabeth was allowed to see the outside world where she swiftly told the police about everything her father had been doing. Fritzl got 15 years in prison for all of that 15 years. Just plain wrong. Well, we're going to finish with the final parents. They don't deserve the name. Fred and Rosemary West. Fred had started his life as a serial killer before he even met Rosemary. He was responsible for murdering and chopping into pieces his 18-year-old pregnant girlfriend, Anne McFall. Then Fred met Rosemary when she was 15 and he was 28, and the couple together went on a spree of murders that included Fred's daughter with his first wife, his first wife, the couple's daughter Heather, a couple of other women hired by Fred and Rosemary to look after their children, ten people in all. They also regularly abused their children, with Rose and Fred feeling that it was right to physically and sexually torture their own kids. The house, named by the press, the House of Horrors on Cromwell Street, was demolished in 1996. Fred choked himself to death while in prison and Rose, convicted of ten murders and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. She's currently in Durham Prison. So, from there, I'm going to introduce a brand new feature for the podcast. Every week, I'm going to give a feature called Totally Fact. Yeah, I think in our lives we've all been completely and totally fact from time to time. But I want to share with you some incredible facts that will make you go, impossible, but totally fact. Do you know that women in Britain, more than any other race on earth, tend to develop bunions by the time they reach 40? Also, do you know that Henry VIII's second wife, Anne Boleyn, spent the night of her execution in the same room in the Tower of London where she'd spent the night before her coronation? And also, do you know that rats can survive longer without water than camels? There you go. Do you know that a litre of vinegar is heavier in winter than it is in summer? Hmm? Try it. And do you know that the winter of 1925 was so cold that in Canada, Niagara Falls were completely frozen? 
Do you know if you eat kangaroo meat, there's no cholesterol in it at all? Do you know that clogs are all made out of the older tree? Yeah. And modern binoculars today are more powerful than any of Galileo's telescopes. Did you also know that as it burns, magnesium gains weight and its ashes are actually heavier than the original piece of metal? How about that? Going to give you three more. Do you know that crocuses, the flower, have been known to be so strong they can force their way through tarmac? Do you also know that Great Danes were first bred in Germany and have nothing to do with Denmark except for their name, Great Danes? And also, did you know that Aborigines were treating wounds with moulds growing on trees 23,000 years before the discovery of penicillin? There you go. Strange, totally fact, totally fact. But let's have... Another grizzly. I want to tell you about the bloody monk of Exeter. Because one of the most grisly stories of human torture comes from Devon. At one time there were said to be more monasteries in Devon than in any other county, and there was a great rivalry between them. And the legend has been told to me in three forms. I've chosen... The most grisly, for obvious reasons. A monastery stood overlooking the River X near where St David's Station now stands, and its great rival monastery stood near Bury Meadow, on the site of the current technical college. The legend tells of how rumours began to spread that the monastery on the River X had found a lot of relics of King Arthur taken from his burial mound near Tintagel in Cornwall. Now, this probably wasn't true, but it instantly transformed the monks standing in the community and the other monasteries were riddled with jealousy. So some of them produced splinters of old wood that they claimed had come from Jesus Christ's cross. Others displayed old finger bones that they said were St Matthew's. All of the monasteries were trying to come up with something to give the monks a bit of status in the religious community and get people in the community talking about them. The monasteries were fairly poor, except for St David's Monastery on the X. They seemed to have plenty of money, so the other monks began spreading stories that they were melting down King Arthur's treasures and selling them. And again, all of this was untrue, but gossip like this commonplace amongst these so-called holy men. Finally, a group of monks decided to enter St David's Monastery by force and steal the treasures. They waited until a Monday morning when they knew that the majority of monks were going to be on a sabbatical in Taunton. They'd be away for three weeks. Dressed in ragged clothes, ungodly monks broke into St David's and killed three monks who tried to stop them. And to their surprise, there was only one other monk on the premises, they had been told that Excalibur, the sword, and the Holy Grail were just two of this invaluable collection of Arthurian treasures, and they weren't going to leave without them. So they were determined to extract information on finding these treasures, and the monk was going to have to tell 
They broke his fingers one by one with rocks. They broke his toes the same way, yet he continued to stress that the monastery had no gold nor silver. They then stretched the monk out onto the ground. He was totally unable to defend himself without the use of his fingers and toes, and using a small knife, they proceeded to cut off his penis and testicles, then poured salt into the open wound before sealing it with a red-hot poker. The monk lost consciousness, but was eventually walking in time to watch as they forced a red-hot poker deep into his eye sockets. The rogue priests couldn't believe how stubborn the monk was, so finally they decided upon a common medieval torture. They placed the monk's broken body between two tables and then put a rat in a cage on his stomach. They then placed red-hot coals on top of the cage. The rat, in its panic, had only one way to escape, to literally eat its way through the body of the victim. So terrified by the heat, it began eating its way through the monk. And even once the rat had burrowed completely inside the monk's stomach, slithering through the blood-soaked tunnel it had carved, the still-conscious monk would not tell of the treasure. The truth was there was no treasure. It had only ever been a rumour without any proof. So the monks finally left, returning to their monastery as if nothing had happened. The tortured monk died soon afterwards, bleeding to death, and by the time the other monks had returned, all of the murdered monks had been feasted on by the various rat packs from the vicinity. It's said that the eyeless monk can still be seen in Exeter, particularly late at night around the railway station. In 1965, several houses down Cowick Lane were visited by a ghostly monk. In 1967, a ghost monk with bloody eyeless sockets was spotted by almost an entire coach party parked near the River X. One lady in her 70s had to be taken to hospital for shock. And Dorothy Waters from Whipton witnessed a strange phenomenon in 1975 she had this to say to me. I was hurrying to the station to catch an early train and I was running late and I saw a man wearing a dark robe and when I looked closer I could see a huge hole in his middle. I could see the street through this hole yet he kept walking towards me. I screamed and the moment I did he just disappeared. Dorothy didn't see him as a monk. She had no knowledge of the incident yet it fits doesn't it? And that is our grisly tales and some sickies today on Alan Robson's Grizzly Tales. I hope you have been fascinated by just how disgusting human beings can be to one another. And I hope it makes you feel like you wish to do the reverse to all you know and love. Until we're together again, please enjoy Robson's world. So many things there and a lot more to come. And until we're together again, from me, Alan Robson, God bless you and I wish you well.